superstar, but I'm doing the best I can. Hey guys, this is Kyler Clark, aka Serial Kyler, here with episode three. Nope, that's four. Not episode three. It's episode four of Audio Confessions of a Serial Kyler, which is a stream of consciousness audio blog and or podcast, which is hopefully full of road stories, thoughts, emotions, and an intimate eye on what it means to be me. It's possibly also full of wrong information and a bunch of uhs and uh and uh. Um, who am I? I am a photographer. I am Alice Cooper's personal assistant, and my life can be pretty weird. Some people think it's interesting. Maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about concert etiquette. That's one thing I want to hit. Uh, what you should and shouldn't do at a show. But uh, I'm going to get to that a little bit later. First, I want to play a little bit of catch-up. Uh, man, it's been a while. I'm really sorry about that. Um, I have been really busy. We finished the last leg of the Alice Cooper tour, and then we took about a month off. And uh, I was super busy at home, uh, being a dad, hanging with my kids, uh, working on my house. And um, I was really overwhelmed with prints, photo prints over the break as well. So thanks to everyone who ordered those. Um, I'm sorry it took me so long to get caught up. I was a bit behind. Um, you know, I think it's really cool. It's an honor to have my photos in people's homes. And I really like seeing uh, the finished framed photo hung up on your wall. So, you know, if you've got one of my prints and you haven't sent me one, post a picture on social media and tag me because I really want to see that stuff. It's really uh, interesting and, and, and cool to me to see that my stuff is hanging in somebody's wall. Um, maybe in, you know, I've, I've had orders from all over the world. It's pretty amazing. So thank you. For everybody who's been um, been blowing up my website with orders, it's been really cool. Um, other than that, I've been spending a lot of time just focusing on my kids and working on my house. Um, recently, somebody asked me what my house is like. Um, so I have a quadplex in Nashville. I have this really cool house that I randomly found, um, met somebody through a party, and uh, they said that they were renting, they were selling their house, and I was looking for a house. I wanted something with rental income, and they were like, "Well, I have a quadplex, which you just never see in Nashville." Um, I found a duplex, and half of a duplex was half a million dollars. It like, was just you know, very competitive market. So, found this house. I could afford it. I bought it, and it's been great. Um, I have regular renters who are in my basement apartment, and they are super cool. And then I rent two of them on Airbnb, and then one of them is just my house. So. It's one of those cool properties. It's been, it works for me. I really like it. It's cool. And, and doing the Airbnb thing is really hip. Um, I know it's a kind of a weird topic to some people, but, um, uh, you know, renting out your house. But if you've dedicated space in your house that is just for that, um, I think it can work really well. And, man, it helps me out tremendously financially. It's awesome. So if you've got a space, do it legally. You know, do it legally and, and, and make sure you're not going to ruin your neighborhood by doing it. But it's, it's a definitely a cool thing. So... Uh, some new and uh, noteworthy things that are happening right now in Alice's world. Uh, coming out in July, on July 28th, is Alice's new album, Paranormal. Uh, and the single, Paranoid Personality, is already out. That came out a couple days ago. And uh, you can find out all the information about the new album at alicecooper.com. Uh, you can also find pre-order links and even listen to that new single for free. It's on Spotify. You can listen to it there. And there's a player on, uh, on the website where you can find it as well. Um, there's also a ton of information about the album in general, links to interviews and stuff and all that stuff. So I'm not going to bore you with details of the new album. But one thing I will say I am excited about is that Alice's original bandmates, D 
Dennis Dunaway, Neil Smith, and Michael Bruce. Um, they wrote some songs and played on the album. They're on a couple of different songs. And there's, I think, a live version of 18, which is part of the single package for Paranoid Personality. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, coupled with the fact that Alice is also bringing them to the UK for uh, the shows that we have there in November, that just got announced, um, that makes for a really exciting time for Alice fans in general. And so it's cool to see that and be a part of that whole thing. Um, Alice reunited on stage with the, the original guys in Nashville, which is my hometown. And uh, again, the following night, uh, after our, sh- our main show, they did it again at the Music Biz Industry Convention, which is kind of at a, a hotel in Nashville. And uh, this was the fourth time I've gotten to see the original band unite in 10 years with the, with the coupe. So it's been pretty cool. The first time um, was the Rock Hall of Fame, and I was doing guitar teching for that and also being Alice's assistant, so I got to kind of really be there for rehearsals and all other stuff. And uh, that was pretty hip. And the second time was at the Jägermeister 4D thing that we did. I don't, if you don't know about that, it was a weird thing. So Jägermeister had the original band do a, a, a mini gig that they filmed in 3D um, in Burbank. And then they played it, excuse me, they played it in London um, at a, I cannot remember the venue that they did it at. It might have been the 100 Club, but they played it like a live gig. And then they had um, elements of the of the film coming out into the crowd in London. So it was like there was fog on the film, then there would be fog in the um, in the audience. And if there was ice on the film, and then there was ice in the audience, it was pretty cool. Uh, so I heard, I, we didn't actually see it, we weren't there. Um, but uh, so the band got together for that. They also got together at uh, Good Records in Dallas, and a live recording of that performance called Live from the AstroTurf was released for Record Store Day last year, um, which is a really cool package. And uh, it's been really special to be a part of all this, and fans really seem to love it, and it's cool to see, you know, it's like a, a dream to see your, your favorite band reunite, the band that broke up, like watching Led Zeppelin break up and going, oh man, I wish they would reunite, and then they finally do stuff, and, and it's exciting. So it's cool to be there. Cool to be there for that. Let's see, uh, what else has happened? What else has happened? Um, during the last run, yeah, uh, during the last run, I did a f- my first few Pick Me Serial Kyler shots of the year. Um, one of them was this man, Billy, uh, in Tulsa, and the other one was Smash Gray, a.k.a. Thirsty Mendelssohn. That was in Durant, Oklahoma. Um, Billy was this majestic, funny, off-kilter, special guy, old guy, and um, ap- apparently he had been attacked or had an injury or something, so he kind of didn't seem like he might have been all there and might have been a guy that you might avoid in a general circumstance. Like, you know, if you're walking down the street, you see this guy, you might kind of, you might veer a little bit. I'm so glad I met this guy. He was such a, a unique person. Um, he had this van, which was a fiberglass van thing on top of the uh, on top of this lawnmower. Now, if you've ever seen this Alice Cooper collectible van, it's a it's an insanity van. It comes with a little mini certificate. So he recreated this van on a lawnmower, and he's riding around in his doctor's outfit, and riding around this insanity van. And it was hilarious. And I got great pictures of him. They're up on my Instagram. You can see him. And uh, of course, I mean, I had to find a way to get him to meet Alice. So we parked his little van back behind at the dressing room in Tulsa. Um, there was like this little back door. Parked it back there, and then Alice came out to, to meet him. 
uh, right when he got into the venue. It was really cool. Special moment for him. He was really a huge fan. That was really hip. And then um, Smash, Smash Gray in Durant. Uh, she had messaged me on Instagram sort of kind of last minute, and I wasn't sure if I was going to have time. But I ended up having time and I was able to squeeze it in, and she kind of wanted to be photographed with Barack Oboa, which was our snake on that run. And uh, she brought along her mom, who was surprisingly at ease with me putting a live snake around her daughter's shoulders. A little bit, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's questionable parenting. I put the snake around my own kid's shoulders. But not knowing me or the snake, maybe questionable. I don't know. Um, but it all turned out fine, and we got a few minutes, uh, you know, got some good shots over a few minutes. And I'm really happy with how those turned out. I think they came out really nice. Um, those are also on my Instagram. And it's been really cool to do these shots of you guys, you know, fans, Alice fans, or just people in general. I like to do, love doing portraits. And um, in this circumstance, in the fan circumstance, it's really hip, I think. Uh, so sometimes it's a quick shoot. Sometimes it's a long, drawn-out thing. Uh, either way, it's fun to do. And um, meet all you people from different walks of life who love and adore Alice so much, which is an easy thing to do. Um, you know, anybody who has met Alice knows, uh, and we'll say the same thing, that he is a great guy, and it's true. He really is a, a great guy, and he's, it's an honor to work for this man. Uh, you know, he's one of the nicest and most generous people that I've ever worked for. You know, he, he takes people by surprise with his friendly nature. Sometimes, I think, especially at meet and greets, people just are just shocked that he takes the time to talk to everybody, and he likes that. You know, he's a legend. And I'm lucky to have spent the last 10 years working for him. However, like all jobs, no matter how cool they are, they eventually become work. And uh, when you're on the road, you really have to live together. We live out here in close proximity, and you become like a family. Um, we're around each other all the time. So uh, like any family, we get on each other's nerves. Yes, uh, Alice Cooper gets on my nerves, and uh, I get on his nerves if I'm doing my job correctly. He's my boss, you know. Um, so I know that many of you out there have fantasized about beating your boss to death with a fully loaded stapler. I've been there, and it's really tempting, I know. Um, don't do it, of course, because your freedom is definitely worth more than a few tiny staples, but it's still tempting. Either way, you know, we all know how hard-headed bosses can be. Those staples wouldn't do anything anyway. Um, but I do have one advantage working for Alice Cooper over basically everybody else. I have the advantage of being able to kill my boss on a nightly basis. Yeah, think about that for a minute. In the afternoon when he's driving me up the wall about getting ice or doing interviews or something silly, um, I... I sometimes think to myself, boy, I'm going to really enjoy chopping your head off tonight. And it's very therapeutic. Every night, the blade comes down. <laughs> yeah, take that. Yeah, I'll teach you. You know, I think every office should have a fake guillotine just to uh, break the tension. And I think it works. You know, at least it works for me. Um, think of that stress relief. You'll be processing your TPS reports. And your boss comes in and gives you a hard time about it. And you're just like, you know what? There it goes. Done. And now you can finish your work and everything's better. You know, I think actually every home should have one. And you could say to your kids, do your homework or you'll get the guillotine. And then you could say to your husband, you better put that toilet seat down. I'm going to cut your head off again, okay? 
I like it. Seriously, though, like if you're thinking about any of this as actually a good idea, you need to see your therapist like yesterday. Really, please do. Uh, all right, so I suppose I should get this show uh, moving here. You know, I've been babbling on for 10 minutes now. Um, the main thing I want to talk about in this episode is concert etiquette. This is primarily about cell phones. Um, and I know this is the modern world we're living in, and I get it. Everybody, everybody's got a phone. Um, so here, here's what brought this up. The other day we were doing a show, and I noticed a woman in the front row. She was texting. Um, that's not all that odd these days. People are just glued to their phones like they are on life support. Um, but this woman wasn't texting her friends photos of the show. In fact, I'm, you know, I'm honestly not sure if she even realized she was at a show. Um, I'm going to come back to her in a second. Uh, remember that there's already like an annoying sea of smartphones filming every minute of every show, and that social media is already awash with grainy, blown-out, horrible-sounding live videos of every concert imaginable. Um, it's really crazy. Concert tickets are expensive. They used to be really cheap, and concerts were a main event for fans. People would save up their money and go to these concerts. What I don't understand is... I guess to some people it still is a, a main event. And we see a lot of fans who are very entrenched in the show. Um, but, man, I still see so many fans watching the entire show through their tiny little screen. And they're distracted from what's going on on stage by that little screen. They're focusing on that and trying to look cool for little social media followers instead of uh, watching the stage. And they're missing big moments. They'll spend the entire night live streaming on Facebook for 30 friends and then they'll leave the show and that's it. Think about if you die, okay, if what they say about death is really true. Whenever you are dying and you're on, a de you're on your deathbed, if your life flashes before your eyes and you're a modern person, you're going to see your entire life through a little screen if you're that kind of person. It's crazy. Like, you know, you're missing the big moments in life. Um... By doing that, you're living your life for the benefit of others, I think. Like if you're just posting, all you're worried about is posting, 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 posting. And, you know, I do it because it's my job. It's part of my living. Um, you know, I get it. You take some photos, take some video because you want to have a memory. It's part of a memory. And we're living the modern world. I'm not naive to that. Um, I do it. But, I mean, I'm getting paid to do that. But... <clears throat> I also go to shows. I go to plenty of shows without even bringing my phone out once. You know, I don't, I'll bring my camera. Sometimes I don't even take it out. When I'm in the audience, I really like to watch the show. I, I might pull out my camera once or twice to get a photo if I see something that's interesting artistically for me as an artist. But in general, I'm there to watch and absorb their art. Um, and I don't need to document it to prove to my friends that I was at the show. I really don't get it. You know, pay attention to the damn concert. These people are up there giving their body fluids to their art and it's just disrespectful i think to be so disconnected from your artists artists it's like you know you're just you're just filming them you know you're not even you're not even their music and their passion and their energy is not even reaching you it's getting pushed into your phone and spread out over the internet it doesn't even reach you you know, and then there's some people who are just sitting in the audience and you're just entrenched in it. And you can really see the difference between their version of the show and the person who's filming the show 
for, you know, Facebook Live or whatever. It's just, you know, okay, so this woman, this woman was at Alice's show, and she took it to a whole nother level of disrespect. She was texting for the entire show. And like I said, just texting. She didn't even, she barely looked up. Once during Dwight Fry, Alice is like right in front of her. She's just stage left of center. So Alice is right in front of this girl. She's feet from him. He's on his knees. He's in a straight jacket. And he's crazy. She's texting the entire time. And then during that song, she turns around and faces away from the stage so that she could lean back on the stage on the uh, and use the, the stage to prop her up. She leaned back and just start, kept texting. She got t- tired of that position. She needed to change her position. So um, she faced away from the stage and used the stage to lean on while she texted away from Alice, uh, you know, feet away from Alice Cooper, who was literally losing his mind in his character. This woman couldn't have cared less. And I was, I'm in character, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm on stage in character, and I could not believe the gall of this woman. And I'm pointing at her. I broke character. I'm like, you know, not that my character is a serious one. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even get her. She didn't look up once. I never, I never got a chance to really shame her. I think Nita Strauss may have gone over there and kicked the phone out of her hand or pushed it down or something like that um, eventually. But, but she might as well have been on a train trying to ignore other passengers. It was that weird. You know, I just don't get it. Cell phones are such a weird thing. I once went on a date with a girl who was on her phone the entire night. It was the weirdest thing. I, we, I pick her up. We go to this restaurant. We went to a nice place. And she had her phone on and in her hand the entire night. She was direct messaging dudes on Instagram, liking photos, commenting on all the dudes, commenting on her in her underwear or whatever it was that she was wearing in her photos. You know, it was just like all validation. And, you know, we went to a nice place. She looked up at me and had direct eye contact once for a second and only because I was staring at her, like, annoyed. And she was just like, What? Doesn't my Snapchat and Instagram followers, I don't know if you know about social media, but you have to keep up with that. Needless to say, we did not go on another date. Um, and then later she called and asked, How come you never asked me out again? I think I said something along the lines of, like, just because you're beautiful. Uh-huh. Doesn't mean that you get to treat people in the real world like paper people on the internet. Oh. People seem to forget that there is a real world around them that they're living in. And the people around them are flesh and blood. Oh. And I think people have forgotten how to be human. You know, how dis- I mean, it, it, whether it's me at a restaurant in front of this person, or whether you're at a concert and you're focused on your phone. It's so disrespectful. It, me- it means you just don't care about anybody else. It's the weirdest, most self, selfish thing. Um, you know, we actually have a, um, we actually ban cell phones at our meet and greets because really it's about time. Um, you know, I- I'm going to take a better picture, first of all. That's the, the number one thing. Um, people will pay a lot of money for these meet and greets, and in, in their excitement, they want a photo right now to share. And I get that. However, these meet and greets are expensive, and I want people to go away with a photo that I know is going to be good. And also, they're going to share that photo with somebody else. 
and having a really grainy, shitty photo that's circulating on the internet, pardon my French, um, does not help sell the package. doesn't help. Um, and another thing is, like, they hand me, uh, like, when we used to do it where they used to give me their phones, they would hand me a phone, and it would be off or locked or the battery would be dead or the phone would be full uh, or it would be on video or whatever it is, or like their their stuff is all disorganized because all these smartphones, you can do them different ways. They're all customizable. So how the hell am I supposed to know where your camera is? With an iPhone, it's different. But, you know, so it just saves a lot of time and it creates some consistency. But people get really freaked out. I had one lady that really was losing her mind because she couldn't get the photo right away to post on the internet. And I'm like, man, your 30 followers can just fucking wait. Pardon my French. Sorry about that. Um. Also, man, <laughs> phones are gross. I don't want to be handling somebody's phone. Um. Anyway, your Facebook followers can wait to see it. It'll be fine. Don't panic. The world is not going to end because you can't immediately get validation for being better than everybody. That's exactly what all this is about anyway, right? It's about pre- pretending that you're better than everybody else. Bravo. You now have a memory that you can suck on for a minute instead of distracting yourself with your phone. <sighs> anyway, that's, uh, that's off my uh, high horse. All right, so finally, I'm, I'm going to get to uh, a question that comes up a lot. Um, this is, actually, there's a few, but, well, there's a few answers for this. So uh, the main question is, what are some of the weirdest things that I've been asked to do as part of this job? And uh, as you might have guessed, Doing this particular job requires wearing many hats. It means that you are going to be asked to do weird stuff, some stuff that is definitely not in your average employee handbook. And aside from checking a convincingly dead body in my luggage, which I talked about in my last episode, um, there's things in the show that I have to do. It's a lot of this is, has to do with the show. So wardrobe changes. It's not really all that weird, is it? You know, but um, I had to help. I have to help Alice change. Part of that is fixing clothes, and you know I'm kind of a seamstress or a seamster, I guess. Um, but you know I have to deal with his wardrobe. I gotta have it cleaned. I have to do all this stuff during the show. I have to make sure he's getting in and out of his clothes correctly because it's hard when you're sweaty on a stage. You have to change your a full costume change is difficult to do whenever you're by yourself. Um, so taking his pants off, sometimes they're leather pants, but taking his pants off can be particularly cumbersome. So it takes two people now on an average night this is a statistic that goes into the weird and depressing so on an average night i take his pants off at the beginning of the show during the uh during while we're getting ready for the show pants come off during the show there might be three or four costume changes and then at the end of the show i put his you know help him out of his pants again you know, so I'm taking his pants off four to five times a night. And we do, let's say, 100 shows a year. was the average 100 shows a year. Let's say, let's keep it on the, on the very low end of the spectrum. If I, change, if I took his pants off 400 times a year, that's like, since I've become his assistant, it's like 2,400 it's like almost 3,000 times. And I know that's conser- conservative because we do more than 100 shows sometimes. And there's other things that we do. 
there are many times, most weeks during, the, I know this week is for sure, this is a fact right here. I've already taken his pants off way more times than I've taken my own pants off. Now, think about that. So if at the end of my career with Dallas, I've taken his pants off 3,500 times, how many years would it take me in a committed relationship to get there? Like, an average, an average marriage, if you're, if you're with somebody and you're having relations maybe twice a week, you know, uh, that's like, you know, as you, after you taper off and you're into your slow phase, I mean, I would be like 10 times a week would be great, but twice a week, maybe that's average. I don't know. I really don't know what average is, but, um, so twice a week, 52 weeks a year, that's a hundred times. Uh, that's like a hundred times in a year. I'm going to take somebody else's pants off a hundred times. And I had to get to 3000 before I break the record that I have with Alice Cooper. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be like, nurse, come here. I'm almost there. I got one more pair and then I beat my record. <laughs> uh, wow, that's depressing. All right, so snakes. Um, I had not ever dealt with snakes before. By the way, um, the current snake that we have, I just named him. Actually, I didn't name him. Calico. Alice's daughter Calico named him. Um, I said he looked like Boris because he's got these beady little eyes and his, his, he looks like he has big, tough eyebrows. It's just, he looks a little different. He's a red-tailed boa, but he's kind of is a green color and he looks angry. He just kind of looks like, Ugh. more so than the normal emotionless snake. Um, anyway, so his name is Boas Karloff. Get it? Boas Karloff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, so uh, I'd never dealt with snakes before. I'm not a snake guy, necessarily, um, but we did a video shoot for that Jägermeister 3D thing that I mentioned earlier, um, and Alice just handed me this huge snake. They brought a snake for this photo thing, and this was a monster, way bigger than anything I've even ever like been around, um, and I had never even held a snake before. I never even touched one. So I just put the snake around my neck, and um, he just goes, here you go. And we hadn't used one for a while. It had been a couple of years. And um, I guess, you know, his, his previous assistant, Brian Nelson, he, who passed away, um, was a good friend. But um, so Brian used to have contacts on where to get these snakes. And uh, when he passed away, that just sort of stopped. And so he stopped using the snake. And there was a period of time, even when I was guitar tech, when Brian was in the band, or Brian was on the tour, um, still, we didn't use snakes. So Alice did this photo shoot, and he was like, yes, we're going to do this again. This was great. Um, and uh, we've used a snake ever since. And so I just had to come up with contacts on how to, how to do it, how, where to get the snakes. Um, and we actually, so in the States, we get our snake from uh, the, my buddy Jim, who is at this place called Exotic Ark in St. Louis. And if you're in St. Louis, go visit him. He'll show you our snakes. We have, there's a, a rotation. And um, whoever behaves the most gets to go on tour with Alice. <laughs> it's kind of cool. So, um, yeah, so we can go and visit our snakes in St. Louis. It's pretty hip. Uh, they're called the Exotic Ark. And uh, the guy's name is Jim. He's a great guy. So uh, dealing with the snakes, it's, they become my pet whenever I'm on the road. And um, they're very, very cool. I was afraid of them at first, but I've learned 
after uh, you know after so much time that they're not interested in eating you. So one of the big questions about the snake is, does it bite? No, it doesn't bite because these snakes are handled every day of their lives. They're, they've been handled since birth, and they're around people. If you have a snake and you feed it in the cage that it lives in most of the time, then you have a snappy snake because the snake is going to think that anytime the cage opens, food's coming in. So you feed it elsewhere, and you handle it all the time. A snake in the wild is a different thing. A snake in the wild has not been around people, so it doesn't know if you're a threat. So it might lash out at you and try to protect itself or eggs or whatever. Um, but in general, snakes know that you're not food, and snakes are cold-blooded. So the logic is that because a snake's cold-blooded, it has to conserve its energy, so it's not going to waste energy biting you or jumping at you or trying to chase you um, just for fun. They don't do that. That's not how they operate. Um, they are really conservative animals. They're very still. If you put a snake out in the middle of a, a floor, it's going to feel nervous. It wants to hide. You know, so, you know, our snakes are so, so docile. I mean, I could just put one around me and have it around me the whole day, and he's just going to want to keep warm. All he wants to do is keep warm and no, until it's time to eat, and then they start to change their behavior, or if he starts to shed... And then you make them comfortable and let them eat, you know. Uh, but they eat; they can eat like once every six weeks. So we send them home to eat. I don't send them. I don't. I don't feed them on the road because, um, you know, would you want to go if you if it took you you know once once a, every six weeks or or so you're getting a meal and then it takes you a, a long time to digest it and it sits in you and ex- explodes you out to like a big fat weird thing. You would not be comfortable. You want to just, they want to sit and absorb that energy. So we don't feed them when we're on the road. We, I just send them home so that they can eat. And then Jim sends me another one. So we rotate them. Um, what else? Uh, how often does it eat? I just answered that. Six, uh, every six weeks they can eat. Usually four is, is the longest I like to go. Um, they are not slimy. They are cold-blooded. Um, and they're shiny. So you touch them and it has kind of almost the illusion immediately of feeling slimy but it's just cold they're very soft animals um and uh who comes up with the snake names alice comes up with the snake names most of the time um my favorite uh, my favorite snake name is julius squeezer um we've also had boa derrick on the road with us uh we've had count strangula cobra winfrey barack oboa was the last one we had and most recently is uh boas karloff so the snakes are very hip I love having the snakes, and they have become really like my my road buddy. You know, I get them out whenever we get to the hotel, get them out, and we hang out. It's pretty fun. Um, uh, other things that I have to do during the show. Um, performing in the show. <coughs> this is not all that weird to me um, now, but, uh, you know, it is a pretty unique and fun part of my job. Um, the most well-known thing that I do during the show is perform as Frank and, Frank and Alice. Um, which is a 14-foot Frankenstein monster that is made to look like a, a giant dead zombie Alice, um, which is a it's pretty cool. It's impressive. So the the thing happens. Alice is on this table. Smoke comes out. He disappears, and the monster appears. And it's supposed to be like Alice has turned into this thing. Um, we did a uh, we did a TV show with uh, I think it was a Travel Channel called Making Monsters, um, the folks over at uh, Distortions, 
made Frankenalis for me. They actually have a Frankenalis bust that you can buy. It's like the head of Frankenalis, full size, that you can buy. It's expensive, but, you know, buy one. I'll sign it. I've already signed like three or four of them. It's pretty cool. Uh, I, I have one that's for me. But I haven't gotten it yet. It's just they keep sending. They keep saying we're going to send it to you, and I'm I'm never home. Um, I do have several pairs of the feet, which are big foam boots, basically. Um, so the Frankenalis straps on like a jetpack, uh, and these I have to put my feet in these giant foam feet, and they come up past my knees, and they strap on so that they're nice and tight and they snug on my feet, and then I crawl into the inside of this thing. Basically, I have to crawl into its butt. <laughs> come up under underneath Frank and Alice's what dress basically it's just a big cloth and then I climb into this harness and strap it on like a jet pack I put a I go up my head goes up into this helmet so that whenever I turn my head the Frank and Alice head moves and then whenever I put my arms I my arms are holding onto these sticks and so you know each hand is like five pounds and it's on a stick about five feet away from my hand so it's actually quite hard to maneuver the hands just because of, you know, inertia and, and leverage. I don't have much leverage to get it to get the hands lift up, lifted up. Um, and in the whole monster, it weighs about 75 pounds, all told, with like the feet and the whole thing. Most of the weight is on my shoulders and it's above me. So if I ever fall in that thing, I'm in deep shit. Pardon my French. <coughs> So I've also been able to, or also been asked to perform as uh, various other things. Uh, let's see, I've been a zombie prisoner. I've been a zombie mechanic. Um, uh, the executioner, one of the executioners. Pat has been the executioner for ages, um, but I'm like an executioner's assistant. I wear this pretty scary, cool-looking mask by made by uh, Hazmat. Um, Karen over at Hazmat made this thing for us a couple years ago, and it is badass. It looks like Darth Vader. I put that thing on and I feel like I feel dangerous. You can actually hit me in the face. It's a, uh, a fencing mask. So you could hit me in the face with one of Alice's canes, which Chuck, our bass player, has done. Hit me in the face as hard as he could. And I didn't feel a thing. I mean, I really feel really protected in that thing. Um, so I've been a general stage goon and I've been an annoying photographer. And that is actually really cool. Um, I got some really great photos from that. Basically, there's a song called Wicked Young Man. And the photographer comes out and annoys Alice a few times during the show. Um, this is kind of an old gag. He did this before. Um, and then during the song, Wicked Young Man, I come back out. And I annoy him. And he's like, that's it. Picks up this mic stand. Takes the top off of it. And it's a spear. And he pushes it into my belly and, and starts pushing me around the stage with it. And then at a particular moment during this song, he pushes it all the way in and it impales me. And there's a mechanical thing, sends the spear through my belly and sends blood going everywhere. But I'm taking real pictures during all this time. So I have these really cool up-close pictures of Alice during, um, during the song and on stage, you know, and he's right next to my lens. You know, it's got these really, really cool, weird pictures of him interacting with me on stage. Um, those are called the dead photographer files. I used to do them. I used to post them. You can look back on my Instagram. I'll, I'll look back and see if I can find some more and try to post some, because they're really cool. I haven't posted a lot of them. But um, I, I, I almost wish we'd bring that song back, specifically so we could do that again, and I can get more pictures, you know, 
that I hate I hate doing it because the thing is really the the apparatus is actually uncomfortable, but it's you know the whole the whole gag is cool and and those pictures are like priceless. It's awesome. Um, I also done Donald Trump. I played Donald Trump for a very very short time. Um, Pat was Donald Trump for a long time when we did the elected gag, and I recently did Donald Trump for like two times. One actually three times. One of them was a um, one of one of them I dressed as Donald Trump but as an ape because we have this ape mask. <laughs> so. Anyway, um, we tended, we decided to get rid of the Trump gaggage. We, there's enough Trump out there in the world. So he's already dominating everything. We wanted to get p- people away from having to think about politics and all that stuff. No matter what side of the thing you're on, everybody needs a break. It's just overwhelming. So, um, you know, pers- perhaps the, the most bizarre thing that I've ever been asked to portray on stage is a Spice Girl, um, which will lead me to my next segment, Stories. So, if you know me well enough, you know that I absolutely love epic stories. I love telling them. I love hearing everybody else's stories. And these are the kind of stories that are like the story you tell after you hear someone else tell an amazing story. Like a party story. And it's a story that usually starts out like, oh, there's this one time. Or you're never going to believe this. These are really like mythical, legendary stories. And they're usually stories about anything. Um... I collect stories like this from people. Um, what is the name of that band? I, there was a band that I saw in Arizona. Um, and one of their guys recently moved to Nashville. I can't think of this guy's name. Um, but we traded stories. And he gave me a really great story. Uh, both of them each gave me a, a good story. And it just made me think, like, man, I should just collect these and do a book of people's stories. These were not stories about the road. These were just one of them was both of them were about dead animals, actually. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll tell those stories one day. Um, but uh, w- when I figure out who these guys are in my brain, I'll have to think back again. Um, then I'll, I'll reference them and tell those two stories. Um, anyway, so right now, I'm going to tell you the story about the time that I accidentally mooned Lemmy, Joan Jett, and half of the audience at Wembley in London. Really, it was Lemmy and most of Motorhead. So, picture this. I'm a guitar tech. I have long hair at the time, and I don't have a beard. I know. It's really hard to understand. Get past it. So here I am. I'm a guitar tech, and I'm on stage left. If I'm looking at the audience, I'm on the left side. That's stage left. That would be house right. If you're in the audience in the house, the right side of the stage. So on the right side of the stage is the monitor world, where our monitor engineer sits, and he does all of his magic and runs the stage sound for the musicians on stage for our house guy runs sound for the audience for the layman if you don't know any of that stuff so also by monitor world as we refer to it is usually like a little place to hang and at Wembley monitor world was up on deck was up on stage um there was a big enough stage where we had monitor world up on stage sometimes it's down on the floor depending on how big the stage is um and so over there because it's Wembley, it's a big show. It's my first time at Wembley. I'm super excited. Um, but because it's there, uh, you know, we've got Lemmy and Motorhead. Everybody's sort of standing side stage, and we're about to do our encore. Let me let me let me go back. Actually, during the afternoon, I'm a guitar tech. I'm tuning my guitars. I'm doing my stuff. Calico is on the tour at the time. Um, so Calico comes up to me and she's like, "Hey, how's it going?" I'm like, "Hey, what's going on? We're all friends." She goes, "So." Um, 
We're going to do something different tonight with the end of the show for the encore. I'm going to end at the time. I think we did. We might we might have been doing elected at the time, but um, she wanted to do something different. Maybe it was schools out. I don't remember. But um, we always do this thing at the end. There's always something to do at the at the end. So she goes, we're going to do something different, and I'm going to have all my, I have a bunch of friends in town, and they're all going to come out as Spice Girls. And I'm thinking to myself, great, cool, whatever. I'm like, why are you telling me? And um, she goes, well, see, there's, there's five Spice Girls, and there's only four of us. And I'm like, okay. Um, so who do I have to be? So I, we talked our way around the costumes and stuff like that, and it really made m- the most sense for me to be Sporty Spice because prior to me being a Spice Girl, I also had to be a zombie, and I also had to do the guitar tech gig, and I can't be doing all that stuff. I can't be getting in and out of costumes. There's no time. So Sporty Spice was the only costume, the only thing I could wear during the show consistently and not have to change out of it. So I'm Sporty Spice. And now we're back in the show. The show's happening. It's almost time for school's out or whatever the encore is. The girls show up. We're goofing around. It's funny. I'm in, you know, I'm dressed like a Spice Girl. Somebody puts, you know, I think Calico came up and put lipstick on me. And I got my hair in pigtails. I've got my tank top, like, wife beater shirt on. I've got, you know, my boobs are stuffed. And I'm a hairy guy, by the way. Like... <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a, um, uh, you know, a metrosexual, if you will. Um, most of the time I'm referred to as a hipster, but prior to having a beard, I still am like a dude. And, um, so here I am up there. I do not look like a girl at all. And, uh, we're all goofing around and off to the side is Lemmy Motorhead and Joan Jett and a bunch of other people over there. And I happen to be standing off to the side where half of the audience on the stage left side, if they were looking in that direction, can see me along with Calico and, and all of her friends. So I'm facing them. They're facing the audience. I'm facing them and my butt is facing Lemmy and Joan and the audience. But I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing these track pants. No big deal, right? Until... Paul Bassett, our drum tech at the time, he was drum teching for Eric Singer. Paul Bassett decides he's going to come behind me and he's going to shank me. So he shanks me, but he shanks me good. And he pulls everything down, pants, underwear. And I'm out there. (laughs) My butt is at the audience and the rest of me is aimed squarely at Calico and all of her friends and everybody's everybody just goes <laughs> and uh, you know what do you do I just go okay I'm gonna pull these up here and then we went out on stage and did our stupid little gag and I was very embarrassed but I came off stage and of course there's Lemmy just shaking his head at me so I had to be in drag at Wembley in front of Lemmy it really sucked um, Joan by the way I don't think she was very impressed um, so I think that this is, this is it. I'm going to leave you guys with that. And that's, and this is like a 45 minute, uh, episode or a 40 minute episode, I guess. So it's pretty long, 10 minutes over what I usually do. But what's the limit for me guys? Like, 
Is it a 30-minute episode? Is that enough? Is it too much? Do you want to hear more stuff? Should I pack more stuff in here? You know, let me know. Give me some feedback. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you out there somewhere. Yeah, but I'm doing the best I can And I say <laughs> Thanks for listening to my podcast Audio Confessions of a Serial Kyler You can subscribe to my podcast for free Via the RSS feed on SerialKyler.com You can also find it for free on iTunes if you'd like to submit a question for an upcoming podcast, please do. You can do so at SerialKyler.com, on Instagram and Twitter at SerialKyler, or on Facebook by looking up SerialKyler Photography. Music for my podcast is from the song Superstar by my old band Callahan. And I'd like to thank my old bandmates Tom and Brandon for letting me use that track for these podcasts. You can find more Callahan tracks, including Superstar, on iTunes. And finally, thanks to the artist Nate Merritt for giving me permission to use the hilarious sketch of me carrying a sleeping Alice as the cover for my podcast.